0: are the ones you can trust. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $200 on each three-month food kit you purchase. My Patriot Supply also sells solar generators, gravity-powered water filters, off-grid room heaters for when the power goes out, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your item shipped that same day, and arrive quickly on your doorstep in unmarked boxes. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today. Time is running out to prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com. LinkedIn
1: presents.
2: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development Nishika De Rosaro, about unlocking human potential. Nishika De Rosaro, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Thank you, John. Very excited to be here.
2: It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Florida. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about unlocking human potential. This is one of my very favorite topics. Uh, I guess in one way or another, we often touch on this topic. But today we're really going to be focusing on unlocking human potential. In part, that is related to Nishika's company, which she'll be uh, sharing a little bit about today. Um, But we'll also talk more generally about how we can do this uh, within our organizations, within our teams, and how we can foster environments uh, where true potential can emerge. As we get started, I wanted to share Nishika's bio with everybody. Nishika De is is a serial entrepreneur who has spent the last 18 years focused on two key things, people and impact in organizations ranging from Deloitte Consulting to Apple, Salesforce, Cisco, Levi, and several others to the startups of Silicon Valley. On a mission to unlock the human potential of the world, she founded Human Q to address the pain points felt by both individuals and organizations in having access to the right development opportunities. Having extensively lived on five continents and traveled to 70 countries, she approaches solutions with a unique perspective that focuses on the trifecta of how individuals, organizations, and societies can all win when workforces are developed with the future in mind. And I love everything about your background in that bio. It's speaking to me. You know, that's like really the type of work that I, I long to do and strive to do. And so I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and have this nice conversation. Anything else you would like to highlight from your background, your personal context before we dive on in?
1: No, John, wow, you hit the spot, so thank you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, very good. Uh, Why don't you start then just by telling us a little bit about Human Q. Uh, What is Human Q? How does this fit in with your focus and passion around unlocking human potential?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to. So um, Human Q is really my calling in life. Uh, It sounds super cheesy, I know, but it's really true. You know, I kind of landed here because I've always been fascinated with people and what it takes to unlock their potential, to get them to their best place so they can drive their best life and their best career. And throughout my journey, you know, be it middle school, high school, university, in the corporate world, I just always notice that, you know, we, uh, in the university system, we sort of think about people as developing them for left or right brain thinking, not both. And in the corporate world, individuals are not equipped to really um, live their best careers at work, if you will, because companies are not in the um, job of developing people, right? Like, that's not their business. That's, uh, you know, they do other things and they happen to develop managers and that sort of thing because they need to. So I found that there was a big need around, like, how do we do this in a meaningful way? And the key is meaningful way because you've got tons of training programs that are in Mm. classrooms and whatnot. And they're great. They can be inspiring. They can be awesome. They can also suck. But somewhere in between all of that, it's really a question about how do people retain knowledge and do they retain knowledge when they sit in the classroom? No matter how inspiring. So the key was, how do we do this in a meaningful way? And then when we do it, how do we do it at scale? So that it isn't something that's accessible just to the, you know, senior executives, but like literally everybody in the organization at any level (laughs) can have access to the right form of development to help them unlock their potential. So they come to work with more pride and they create more impact. Who doesn't want to be more impactful in their job, right? And they get to do things that they love with purpose and intention and um, so on. And so that's really the premise around why I developed Human HumanQ, having been an HR and human capital professional for so long, saw a gap, delved right into it. And, you know, it turned out that it hit the spot in terms of companies really acknowledging that this is where they needed help. And then, of course, we're very reliant on data. So Mm -hmm. the data was a large part in being able to say, okay, this is not fluffy stuff. This Mm -hmm. is stuff that actually works. And let's show you how it works and how it kind of feeds into your key metrics as an organization and your key priorities.
2: So, if if you are working with organizations that haven't quite caught the vision around developing their human potential, as you were just describing with great passion, by the way, which I really appreciate, um, if they haven't yet caught that vision, um, you're speaking their language. You're speaking, you know, ROI, bottom line benefits and impacts, regardless of all the other you know positive reasons why we should. Try to do this for our people, and you you said something uh, a minute ago, which I think is true, yet a little bit unfortunate, and that is that many organizations don't see developing their people as one of their core roles and responsibilities. I wish they did. I mean, I think every organization, you know, products and services are produced by people within those organizations. Innovation happens by the people, the human capital, the individuals within the organization. So every organization should be committed to investing in their people and unlocking the potential, just like they would any other asset, just like they would their, their physical, you know, property plant equipment, their, their financial assets and capital, their intellectual property, all of that they, they protect, they invest in, they are willing to upgrade and to, uh, to make sure that they're maintained. Of course, why we should be doing that with our people as well. Um, So, you know, in our minds, we're kind of, smiling and nodding our heads as we're talking back and forth and and we get it, but not everyone does get that. And and they see it as a cost center. They see it as a, a place where it's a money pit um, and they don't necessarily get how all of this connects back to the ROI. All of this connects back to their ability to add value to the market, to to provide uh, great value, to attract and retain great customers, etc. So sometimes we have to start there and help uh, get that, commitment uh, from, from organizations. Now you talked about classroom training and certainly that still happens, but it seems like over the years, certainly since I got into this field, that's that was my start was in doing corporate trainings and classroom-based training. And over time, it seems like that has shifted dramatically. It still happens, but it, it happens far less than it used to. Um, so what is the human cue approach? And how do you focus on, you know, what you talked about as scalable solutions for development of people and their leadership skills and capacities? How do you do that at scale? What does it look like when it's not traditional classroom types of training and and environment?
1: Yeah. Thank you for asking. And John, I just want to touch on what you shared before because you're spot on. Um, You know, companies are quick to invest in technology projects and so on. And part of it is that they don't think it's their role because individuals Mm -hmm. have gone to universities, sometimes the best universities in the world. But there's this sort of lagging effect in our whole system around education and what real education and development means and should look like for a human, right? So even the companies that get it, they don't know how to do it meaningfully, right? Like, like there are so many companies like Salesforce is an example that of a company that loves to develop their people, But do they know how to meaningfully do it at every step of the way? I don't know, maybe not, right? So what we do to get to your last question is, you know, we are a managed marketplace where we do group coaching. When people hear the term coaching, all sorts of things come to mind. They sometimes think life coaching, they think fitness coaching, nutrition coaching, uh, executive coaching, life coaching. I mean, all these things which I just mentioned. But yes, all these things. But what they don't realize is that coaching is so different depending on who's actually providing it. Yeah. And life coaching and you know leadership or executive coaching are so vastly different. But the key is that, you know, coaching is a very advanced form of development when it comes to really tapping into, um, you know, the paradigms of an individual and helping shift that and really kind of getting them to think differently about their trigger points and how to take different behaviors. Like people have to have aha moments to really say, oh, I get why this hasn't worked for me for a year. I'm going to now Mm -hmm. change my approach versus someone saying, hey, Amanda, let's apply the five best Principles every single day. And Amanda's like, okay, sure. But then she starts to forget to apply it, right? Mm -hmm. So our whole model is based on group coaching. So not one to one. And we are kind of the global pioneers in group coaching. And the idea is that the sum of six people is greater than one. And how do we drive an agenda that's not driven by the individual, but driven by the organization, taking into account the individual? Hence, we're tied into the strategic priorities of the company and the organization, right? So if a company said, like, our number one priority is to create an organization where employees have more of a digital mindset. They're able to work in environments that are online and offline. They're able to manage in these environments. They're thinking at that next level of value-add around resilience, around agility, around a growth mindset, ex- managing change, et cetera. We come in and do that while taking into account the, the group and also the individual within that group dynamics. So all coaching is definitely not equal. And then group coaching alone is very, very different as well. And then we have sort of a scientific uh, process Mm. of how we take the brain apart and piece it back together in a way that changes paradigms and shifts the person in terms of the different actions that they want to take.
2: And I'm wondering if you've, dabbled with this yet, or perhaps you utilize it heavily already. Um, but you, I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, chat GPT, open AI with Bard, uh, Poe just the other day, um, released their platform that allows for people to create very simply, by the way, uh, to create, um, their own chat bots built on a variety of, of, um, AI uh, algorithms and and it's tremendous I spent a little bit of time the last couple of days just playing with it and creating some chat bots for specific u- use cases um, and it's it's amazing uh, how interactive it can be how immediate it is and I'm wondering if you know whether it's the 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 generative AI or other emerging technologies what types of, of technologies you you might be using or might be Thinking about using uh, in terms of the scalability of your coaching practices, um, you know, I can see a world where you you can train a really good, you know, generative AI chatbot uh, around leadership development, uh, where people can interact in real time rapidly um, to to get you know very personalized coaching. Um, it seems like we're almost there already. And it's only going to get better and better, you know, as, as time goes on. Um, so that, that was kind of a lot I just kind of spewed at you, but what what are you thinking about in terms of of some of this generative AI stuff and, and other technologies?
1: Yeah, so I, I love where you're going and you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the world around us is getting more and more intelligent, right? In terms of being able to serve individuals' needs in a greater capacity, real time and without real humans, right? <laughs> I think the secret to what we do is that, you know, we manage to bring in the perfect mix of, um, you know, expert coaches with basically knowledge of the company and the nuances of that company um, into a mix where we're driving the corporation's agenda forward, taking into account the individuals within the group setting. It's quite complex because we're not just generating sort of content that is, you know, Um, that will enable anyone, like someone at Microsoft needs something different from someone who's at Chobani, let's say, to someone who's at VU University of Amsterdam. So the context is really critical, actually, in the work we do. And the coaches have to understand the context in order to make things very relevant. So we are playing with AI at the moment. And I think getting to sort of um, those basic answers is very easy through AI, getting to sort of the nuanced answers where mm-hmm. context specific requires actually pre-programming per client almost right per mm-hmm. customer where you're like, okay, here are the challenges this customer is facing. So when they ask these questions, uh, you've got to put them into the context of those challenges to be able to give them the right answers, right? Because mind you, we work with really intelligent people, John. So it's not like, you know, we're, we're working with sort of anyone and everyone. Like these are superbly intelligent individuals at all these incredible top universities and companies. So they're expecting a whole different level of answers, right? And mm-hmm. so. To the extent that we can pre-program for context, then yes, absolutely. There's a huge opportunity for us.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this continues to develop, and I completely agree. Context matters so much. Um, you know, in the in the organizational development and, and change management space, there are lots of firms that that do consulting work and executive coaching around those topic areas. There's lots of models, lots of proprietary systems. Lots of people have their own, you know, secret sauce and how they go about doing that. Um, but the reality is context matters and it always depends on the context. So I could go into, you know, a, a medium sized tech firm in Silicon Valley um, with, you know, X, Y, Z characteristics in this particular industry. And, and then, you know, really hit it out of the park, do a really great change initiative. It works really well. And then go into the next company with a lot of the same characteristics in many ways looks very similar to the last company. And I do the exact same thing. And guess what? It's probably not going to work. And why is it not going to work? Because even the smallest little nuances and differences and context make a huge difference often, uh, even just the people involved. Uh, even if the, the surrounding context is is pretty much the same, the people, the individuals involved are different and unique, and so that changes the dynamic. And so we have to be very clear about the importance of the context. Right now, you're right. I think these these chat bots and the generative AI they give really interesting, great kind of high level um, answers to get people thinking. I think that's fantastic, um, but it doesn't get to the the nitty gritty and to all the nuance and to all the detail um, we'll see how it develops in the future. And, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, many people like Josh Burson talk a lot about generative AI and how it's going to be impacting HR and people management. Um, And, you know, I think the next step is, Companies that start to integrate it. So, all of the company information, it's not just the internet, but company specific data and information is now feeding into the generative AI algorithms, which then allow for more of that context like you're describing. We're not there yet, uh, but we could be there soon. And and that's really fascinating to me to think about how this is going to go. So, anyways, I'm just kind of thinking out loud because everything you're talking about is so interesting. And I think um this is the the evolving world we're we're uh, grappling with is how do we leverage emerging technologies coupled with you know the expertise of real life human beings who have the wisdom and the experience uh, to to help uh, along with this process how do we leverage both uh, simultaneously to to reach more people more uh, with higher levels of impact with higher levels of ROI. You know, I think that's the ongoing conversation and we just don't know the answer to that yet. it will continue to emerge.
1: That's right. Absolutely. Right. Looking forward to it though. Right. What an exciting time we're living in.
2: Yeah. It's, it's an, I think it's an exciting time. A lot of people think it's scary um, uh, and maybe it's a little bit of both, but, uh, but I am excited for it. Well, why don't we um, zoom back just a little bit? We've been talking about how to develop people and their potential and using coaching, Utilizing technologies, connecting back to the ROI for the company, making that business case. But if we take a step back, why, why do you think people just aren't living up to their full potential? Why are people living mediocre careers and lives? What? What? I mean, I think most people wake up thinking, "I want to do cool things today. I want to. You know, I don't want to be mediocre yet." so many of us, you know, we find ourselves falling back into habits, um, uh, thought processes, you know, that might be limiting. Um, what, what is it that, that results in, you know, what, what is causing so many people to just live below their potential?
1: I think it's actually, uh, yeah, I've spent a lot of time, John, uh, thinking about this and I really believe it's two things. The first one is that, um, Because our education systems aren't focused on purpose and intent, and Mm. you got to pick what you want to be when you're 18, right? In the US, at least you have a year of general studies at university, but in other countries, you don't. Like day one, you're in law school or medical school or whatever, right? Um, So we get into these professions not really knowing what they mean, not even understanding like what our own values are and what we want out of life, how we want to live our life, our lifestyle we value, all of these things. And then suddenly along the way, we realize that maybe I don't love this thing, but this thing, this job gives me the money I need to educate my kids to have that nice house to go on vacation. And it's really hard at that point to unwind. Because when you unwind and start from scratch, you're nobody. You're, you're literally starting mm-hmm. from scratch, but you've got to start building credibility again. You don't have the network, like all the things that came easy to you. You're like coming out of college in some sense at that time when you unwind a career that's already established. So that's one reason that stops people from reconfiguring their life, if you will, or pivoting to live their best career and their best life. So that's one thing. The second thing I really believe is it's easy not to. Living your best life is actually work. Um, and it requires a bunch of things like, for example, you need to be able to say no to things just because it's interesting doesn't mean it's the thing you should do or you should never feel compelled to do things just because, you know, you feel like you need to be nice or, you know, it's the right thing for now or it's fun. I mean, everything has to be aligned to what you what's going to actually serve you and your career and living your best life. So saying no is important. The other part is continuous development is important. Like you just can't be someone who is complacent. Like you've got to always make decisions and they're tough decisions often around how you want to spend your time. Uh, What extra development work or studies should you be doing? What's going to push you into that next bracket of fulfillment from a curiosity perspective, from an intellectual perspective? And then also just editing your life in terms of the relationships you have. Like, are you in the right relationships? And the relationships could be friendships, they could be colleagues, they could be romantic relationships, but that's all a lot of work. And it's just easy not to do the work. So a lot of people live complacent lives, they're not unhappy, but they're not superbly happy either. They're sort of somewhere in the middle, and they're just kind of, you know, moving along life. And they're not questioning much because it's just too much work to alter things and to change things and to sort of say, no, I'm a big proponent of living your best life. For the longest time, I had a hashtag called live big and it's, um, a hashtag that I still use today and live big is all about. Uh, it's literally my goal every year. And I don't even create some goals. The whole idea is if I'm living big, it means I love my career. I love the people in my network, my close friends. I'm close to my family. I'm doing great things. I'm getting experiences. My health is good. I mean, all these things, right? So um, it's work and, and people don't want to put in the work basically.
2: Just the way societies work, the way our psychology works—like we we tend—you identified some of the systems and structures that help perpetuate this. Um, and that is, there's just societal norms and values that get imposed on people. And then before we know it, we're you know ten years into a career, doing stuff that we think you know society is telling us we should be doing or that is valuable, but it has no real alignment to our personal priorities, our personal values, our personal passions and interests. Uh, and so no wonder that a lot of people end up kind of sleepwalking through careers in life uh, because they really don't care about what they're doing. They might be good at it, but they're not, they don't really care so much about it. Um, and Uh, I mean, there's no dishonor in any kind of work. Like I I think work is honorable. And if you're earning a living to provide for your family and to make a better life for your children, that's wonderful. And I don't care what you're doing. Uh, I, I honor that. But can we find ways to align ourselves, you know, with what we value most and with our passions for some people that really will mean they just want a simple job clock in clock out. They don't have to worry about stuff, think about stuff. They can go home and spend time with their family. They earn a good you know, living and they're fine with that. And I'm okay with that too. But I think many, uh, many people aren't satisfied with that kind of a condition. Uh, they need more meaning and purpose out of the work that they do every day. And, and so if, if that's the, the the situation they find themselves in where just kind of every day they're just kind of going through the motions, sleepwalking through life of course they're not going to be as fulfilled they're not going to be as happy they're frankly they're not going to be as productive and innovative either because they're not as invested in what they're doing uh, and so part of it is like disrupting you know what you know what society is telling me uh, and all the pressures from from the universities and just social norms and even my family and parents and other things like that when I'm at these younger ages how do I think through and how do I become secure enough in myself to pursue what what matters to me um in in a way that uh will be true to myself while also helping me prepare with skill sets that will help me be successful in the future like how can we marry those two uh and then how can we help people disrupt you know earlier when they find themselves in in places that Aren't suiting them. Uh, and part of it, too, I think, is there's simply life stages and there's career stages. And so someone might be actually quite content and happy doing one thing for a while. But at some point that might change or maybe their family dynamic changes and now they're ready to do something different. Now, maybe they needed something simple for a time, but now they're ready to move into something that's more that's stretching them and challenging them more. And it it can be hard, though, for people to make those transitions to recognize the need for the transition, first of all. But even if they recognize it, to be able to go through the systems and structures of society to be able to do that can be really hard. Uh, and so we need to find ways to to be able to 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 help with that. and and so the, the type of work that you do, I think, is a big part of that. Um, we can also think from an organizational perspective, you know how how do we value the the various characteristics, skills, competencies, and capabilities that people bring to the table, regardless of whatever their history their work history is? Uh, mm-hmm. And you see a movement towards hiring around potential more than hiring be- around you know years of experience. Yet, it's lagging, and and that still tends to be kind of a predominant approach that many organizations take. Um, Okay, that's my little kind of soapbox there for a moment. Uh, Last question, and I know I need to let you go here in just a minute, um, but if you were to summarize, perhaps, and just in a few key points, what do you think organizations have been grappling with the most these last few years in relation to their human capital, in, in relation to developing their people towards their potential?
1: I think that's such an awesome question. I think they've been grappling with how to take the whole person into account. You know, because if you think about organizations, what we've done a really good job of to some degree, depending on the organization as well, is helping them develop for a very specific role, right? Mm -hmm. Like training to become a new manager, training to become a new director, right? Whatever that might be. If you're top talent, you have access to different types of training. But now we have the whole Person coming to work. Like we used to talk about being vulnerable, but oh, we we didn't know anything about vulnerability until COVID hit, right? We were suddenly in the houses of people seeing their dogs, their children, their bedrooms, all of this stuff. And so the whole person coming to work is what's really challenging because you're talking about someone who needs, you know, maybe um, space for mental health right and to really have mental health they need space they need work life balance maybe they need support structures then you've got folks who have um you know emotional needs you have folks who have physical needs in terms of geographical where they're based right and then of course people want to like the work they do i mean there are so many complexities around it in terms of you know the remote in person the 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 people we are, the challenges we have, even with like our children, our significant others, uh, you know, whether the schools are open, not open, right? Parents, grandparents, I mean, it's so challenging. Like, I don't think we've ever talked more about the whole person than we have in the last two years, which has been fascinating, but also very complex. So if you're a manager, your role now is so different than what it used to be like you have to be part psychologist in the process of also being a manager right because there's so many things you have to read and adjust to and no two people are the same they're different everyone's different yeah. so it's, it's a very very complex time and I think organizations who are excelling and will excel are the ones who are literally saying like I care about you but not just saying it they're doing it mm-hmm. right and they're equipping their managers to be great because being a manager is so bloody hard like you don't wake up one day and become an amazing manager like it's continuous development because new issues are going to come up um, things are going to challenge you all the time you have to balance different people's needs then you've got your own workload that you've got to also do right like it is so hard to be a people manager so companies that get it are going to thrive and others are going to see people leaving and people are leaving today even when they don't have jobs because they're tired of where they're at right so that's telling Like you don't have a job, you don't have a guaranteed pay coming your way, but you're so done with your current job that you want to leave. Okay, like, you know, what actually happened then? What weren't you able to get, right? And psychological safety is another key piece, John. Like a lot of companies have been doing the lip service around it before. But now more than ever, like having psych safety to talk about the things that really matter to you. That's so important, you know. And so then, of course, you have diversity issues that come into play, diversity opportunities that come into play. So there's so much there to unpack. But I love that last question. We could probably talk about it for an hour.
2: <laughs> I know. I know. I that was almost unfair of me to ask that question <laughs> right as we're wrapping up Um this this has just been a really great conversation. And, and let's consider this part one of perhaps many conversations to come. Uh, but thank you so much for your time. I know I need to let you go. Before we wrap things up, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
1: Yeah, um, you can find me on nishika at humanq.com or info at humanq.com. We also have our website, www.humanq.com. And then finally, um, I guess I would just say live big, like push yourself, get out there, do the things you love. Don't let yourself stop yourself because we are our biggest blockers, right? Like get out there and do the thing that makes you happy, live your best life, live your best career every day. because. Life is short. You just don't know what's around the corner.
2: Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Nishika can do for you. And As always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. (laughs) you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening